going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy, munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with Crunch. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say... You really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, welcome to another Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and TV expert, Rihanna Dillon. We're here to tell you what you've got to watch, what you possibly could avoid, and just we'll just take, we'll just drink in your expertise, Rihanna, because um, <laughs> you actually have taken me to some TV places I never thought I'd go. Well, last week we talked about sex, didn't we? Because that was sex education. Yeah. And that, I suppose, did feel vaguely instructive and almost intellectual. <laughs> this week, I have to tell you, we are bringing you two programmes. One is Sex Actually, this is on Channel 4, mm-hmm. uh, and then an extraordinary comedy called Brassic. It's a Sky production, isn't it? Yes, it is. And uh, we'll talk in some detail about these programmes a little <laughs> bit so later. so excited to hear your thoughts. I should also say we are going to hear later from Sarah Soleimani, who's just a brilliant woman. She is, uh, she is the person responsible for the adaptation that you can see on BBC One of a novel called Ridley Road by an author called Joe Bloom. Actually, it's disturbing. It's about British 1960s fascism. Organised Nazi groups could get a permit and make speeches. It was perfectly legal. And the demonstrators that congregated around them to protest, Jewish groups, black groups, anti-fascist groups who were united in the cause, were arrested. So Sarah Soleimani will talk in some detail about that a little bit later in this podcast. Strictly, of course, is up and running again. And this week we'll hear from two contestants who can talk not just about the nerves of performing, and you do have to have guts to do it, it has to be said, but about what it's like to get biffed out early on. So you're going to hear from Melvin O'Doom and from Jackie Smith in this edition of the podcast. 
It's a big week for me uh, coming up because the book I may have shoehorned into previous Radio Times podcasts. I've never heard you mention it. Really? Did I say that out loud? That's the name of the book. Uh, I've co-written it, actually. I don't want to be, um, I shouldn't be too presumptuous and miss the other woman out. Co-written it with Fee Glover. Although, interestingly, Amazon, you know when they list books, they can only have one author? No. Yeah, and they haven't chosen me. (laughs) So it says, buy Fee Glover and one more. Oh, I see. Yeah. So that's coming out this week. And I'm also going to have the great joy, I think, of performing um, in front of your mum in Brighton. Oh, yeah. Mum is front row, I believe, in Brighton. Wow. So enjoy, give her a wave. She will make her week. Tell her I might be able to get her a free copy of the book. Okay. But it's, it's a big might. Um, so I've got quite a big week coming up, actually. Lots of excitement. What about you? Well, uh, London Film Festival is yeah. about to ramp up. So, so many big names are coming to London, which I, in my in my other life, I moonlight as um, a film critic and Q&A host. Well, can I ask you, have you seen the Bond, the new Bond film? Not yet. Would you make that a priority based I, on what you've heard? I am going to see. I'm going to take my dad because my dad is a huge Bond fan and he gets very upset if I go and see a screening like that without him. I did get invited to the premiere. I might say no because premieres are such a faff. <laughs> Rihanna Dillon, everybody. A woman so grand, she finds premieres, to quote her, a bit of a faff. <laughs> right, let's discuss. Let's get down and dirty with some of the shows this week. I should say this is quite funny and illustrates some of the differences between us. I chose the BBC One documentary. What kind of tribute, really, to the late Duke of Edinburgh? Mm-hmm. And you are responsible <laughs> for Brassic and sex, actually. So where really do you want to start? En- I really enjoyed the fact that we divided it so clearly <laughs> in that way. So Alice Levine fronts this series. If you know Alice, you know you know she's a presenter, she's a DJ, she hosts the incredibly popular My Dad Wrote a Porno co-hosts. That's the podcast, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, sex actually has already started, hasn't it? On, yes. Yeah. So you can catch the first first episode on all four and the second one is on tonight Wednesday and there'll be one more so she enters the lives of people whose sex lives are perhaps a little bit more misunderstood there's definitely an element of myth busting in this also a bit of titillation I I think it's fair to say we see mistresses and madams and subs and doms couples who make their living having live sex on camera or creating bespoke pornography for fans I think that was the first episode I I saw that first episode about Cammers. Yes, cam girls, cam boys, and then couples, which I, I didn't really know that was a thing. I, I didn't know it was a thing. What do you think of the whole idea of Alice? She's in the room. I think the insinuation is that she is incredibly sex positive, which she is, but she's also very kind of British in her responses to sex. So the fact that she's sitting uh, literally mere inches away from a couple who, a real life couple who are having sex in front of her, she can definitely see everything, even if we can't. So the camera's often just focused on her reactions. And there's, I think even on Instagram, she literally, she couldn't post any of the the actual programmes. So it's just all of her reactions, which are in themselves very funny. A lot of side eye. Yes, and just complete discomfort. It's, it is a very uncomfortable thing to be doing in a work capacity. Is it, though, a lucrative thing to be doing? For some people, it seemed incredible. I think some guy said he was earning 170 grand a year doing this with his partner. But then on the flip side, another couple were only earning £23 per 20 to 40 minute session 
in their bedroom. But also, equally, they didn't want to go back and work for a well, sandwich-making company. I wrote that down, actually. There was a, the, the young woman who's part of that couple from the northeast of England did make exactly that point, that she doesn't want to go back to a job where she was earning, she said, I think £6.20. Mm-hmm. I, I found parts of it genuinely a bit sad. It's a kind of squeamish programme, isn't it? You do... Yeah, I don't quite know who it's for. It was almost like they wanted to show why this isn't a shameful thing or, you know, the benefits from doing things like this. And from that perspective, I do understand why this is on TV. And I think that comes across even more so in tonight's episode with the subs and the doms. Because I think that if you just watch things like Fifty Shades of Grey, you will get one completely warped idea of what that actually is. This gives a much more sort of grounded, realistic look. And it's not necessarily something we can understand. Alice specifically in this episode, doesn't really understand the motives of a submissive. And she tries to interrogate that with one. And this woman gets quite angry about the idea of being shamed or kink shamed, etc. And that, that was a really interesting conversation and really, really worth watching. It make you feel less queasy if you're not a big fan of of watching that kind of stuff. I think the second episode is is actually much more educational. We have got a, a clip from Sex, actually. Just, just set this one up. This is from the episode that's on tonight, Wednesday. Yeah, so this is actually looking at an older couple who have made quite a lucrative business creating these bespoke scenarios for their fans. And I think they get paid quite a lot of money. And it's a very, you know, complicated rig. They've got proper lighting, proper cameras, the man really fancies himself as a director. And we should, just in case anyone's baffled and not getting this, the the people willing to pay are watching and they instruct the couple. Yes, or they send in requests. um, Which they then watch. Which they then get given kind of personal ones, yeah. Okay, well, let's hear the clip. I was back one final time with Jocelyn and Howell, who were making more custom BDSM content. This is quite a big one. <laughs> That's because you've been making quite a fuss about. Well, if you don't gag me, I'll be sad. I think let's do a few like this and then let's tie. Oh, there's the light. It's nice here. It's kind of like a red nose day themed one. <laughs> Thanks for that. Way to spoil the sexy mood. <laughs> Yes, Alice, um, she does chip it, chip in with lines like that that perhaps does. are not well. I think she's great actually in this because she doesn't she doesn't really judge, but I think she reacts in the same way that we would if we were there. You know, she asks some of the questions that we really want to know the answers to, given that situation. I'm really conscious actually that I, I don't want to sound in any way judgmental or, or prudish about this. No. And I think there is a danger, isn't it? If you just sort of get, then that is, in a way, you're reinforcing some of the views that make these sorts of programmes important and actually that's why they've been made. As long as all of these discussions keep going on, that is the most important thing, right? And um, Louis Theroux is is what? His involvement is executive producer? He produces this, which, you know, definitely sort of earns it a bit of a stamp of approval, I suppose, and it makes it feel like, okay, this isn't just the kind of stuff that we used to, like Euro-trashy kind of stuff that we used to watch late at night. This feels like it has got much more, give a bit more of an educational bent, I suppose. A little more intellectual heft. Exactly. Yes, I think my personal jury will remain out on... Sex, actually, which, as Rihanna says, already on all four, episode two tonight, Wednesday at 10 o'clock. There are a couple of moments in it, like um, they do a shot of no ball games 
on the green and, and lots of um, pussy cats wandering around the houses. I kind of, those little visual flourishes, I kind of enjoyed. And I didn't even notice, but you're right, there are a lot of cats in episode one. I like cats. Right, um, Brassic is a comedy. Now, the adjective broad could probably be <laughs> probably be applied to Brassic. You almost uh, put that in inverted commas, didn't you? Yeah, comedy. I, I, I think, you, well, you see, the thing is, can I honestly say I didn't laugh? Mm-hmm. No, because I did laugh. <laughs> Good. But... Am I happy with myself? I'm not sure. Right, just tell me about Brassic. I'd never heard of it, actually. So this is actually series three that's just beginning. So Joe Gilgan from This Is England and Misfits, he's incredibly funny. So he stars as Vinny, who has bipolar disorder, who's basically just a charismatic, petty criminal uh, who gets into all sorts of japes with his ragtag group of mates. And each episode, there's like a different plan which just goes wrong. Wrong. So it's kind of like only fools and horses on speed or something. Yes. It's, I know what you mean. You probably could just about make that comparison. <laughs> and I have. Del Boy never got up to what they get up into in, in episode one. He might have in 2021, though. Do you reckon? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm really not. I don't know what Trigger would have made of all this. Um, right. Here's a clip from episode one. And um, I think if memory serves me right, this is our hero-ish, Vinny, on his way out of Nick. You just remove your trousers, please. What's the deal? I mean, have you always wanted to do this for a living? What? Mm. Kind of fell into it, really. Oh. Sorry, not me. I've got a job for us. Dude, I've just come out of the nick. I'm not looking to go back. I feel responsible for that lad. Do you know what I mean? This will be the easiest donut you've ever earned in your life. It's not enough. You don't even know how much is there. How much is there? Loads. Sick. Nailed it. I think it's quite telling that this clip was taken from the trailer because they, you can't really take it from the from an episode yeah. because there's far too much swearing. <laughs> when and... I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, I'm gonna, there's no way we can take any of this. Uh, and um, is it successful, Brassic? Yes. I mean, the fact that they're already filming Series 4 shows that there's 100% an audience for this. And I've got to say, I really loved Series 1. I thought it was really kind of... It really spoke to a particular kind of place. It was like all about being stuck in like the northeast of England in a in a fictional place called Hawley based on Chorley and just having this rural setting meant that for once we weren't seeing I don't know rich people getting high or whatever in in cities which is kind of so often where comedy seemed to go or getting drunk I think perhaps it's gone slightly even more wacky now maybe they've they've kind of run out of ideas of a really kind of good central plot because there was this idea of him being in love with his best friend's girlfriend played by Michelle Keegan from Corrie and Our Girl who is absolutely every time she's on screen I can't tell she's stunning she really is why on earth she'd be interested in any of this lot I have no idea. seems unlikely <laughs> but there is something thing I think really appealing just about the escapism and stupidity of this because it's what half an hour you can bung it on and just and zone out and that's I think there's always room for that kind of TV. Dominic West is in it. Dominic West is in this! Now, he's soon to be seen as His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales, <laughs> of which more in a minute, uh, in The Crown. And I was very surprised to see him in the, in Brassic. I couldn't believe it. He plays the GP. He's having so much fun, I think, not being in a serious drama. And as I say, I'd like to tell you, I didn't even giggle, but that wouldn't be true. Uh, episode one goes out on Wednesday the 6th of October on Sky Max at 10 o'clock.
Prince Philip died on the 9th of April and I don't think it's any secret that the programme about him that went out this week was actually intended by the BBC to be a tribute to him on his 100th birthday. Yeah. But he didn't get there, sadly. It, it kind of weirdly shifts between tenses. They've obviously taken some interviews where they are talking about him as though he's still alive because he was when they started filming. I actually thought some of this, it, to be honest with you, would I normally watch it? I was surprised you suggested it. Well, I want to suggest because I'm interested in, I suppose, some of the younger members of the royal family Mm -hmm. making quite a lot of quite interesting contributions, actually, to this. If you didn't watch this, uh, it is available on the iPlayer, of course. Um, Here's a clip which I think a lot of people had a view on. Let's put it that way. And we'll give you the benefit of our views in a moment. It's Prince William and his cousins, Zara and Peter Phillips, uh, recalling a few fond memories of what their grandfather used to get up to. One of the games he used to enjoy playing was... Uh, when we used to go for family barbecues, um, instead of a, uh, like a mustard pot, we had a mustard tube, a squeezy mustard tube. Um, and he used to take the lid off and put it in your hands. It gets you to hold it. It gets you to hold it in, in your hands and the lid's off. And I can't remember exactly what he says, but he ends up slamming your hands together. And then he'd squish your hands together to fire the mustard into the ceiling. It goes ceiling all, over, it went it all over the, the ceiling. He used to get in a lot of trouble for my grandmother for covering most of the places uh, we had lunch and things with mustard on the ceiling. And I actually think the marks are still there. From, yeah, I think yeah. so. Now, I was looking at Twitter and a lot of people were just saying, well, that just shows you that Prince Philip was not a man who'd ever had to wipe down a surface <laughs> of any description, whether it was a ceiling or something else. And to be honest, I have some sympathy with, with that. I'm really excited to see how the Crown handled this particular anecdote. I really hope that we do see Dominic West slapping people's hands together all over the place. But also they do try and make such a thing about how he was quite normal and down to earth. And because when he did barbecues, they didn't have a chef or anything. No, he are. would turn the meat over himself. I mean, it is On days when I don't have a chef, it, it's a struggle. <laughs> I, I don't like to go on about it. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, I could relate to that, of course, but um, not everybody can. No, I agree. I think that... The trouble is they don't realise what people like us out there in the real world make of things like that. Yeah, I think Um, they think that's an endearing anecdote. And maybe for some people it is. If you're not a fan of the royal family and you are looking for something a bit more interrogative, perhaps, you will be incredibly disappointed with this documentary. Well, there is nothing interrogative about this man whose will, we were told the other day, will not be published for another 90 years. (laughs) Uh, I I should say... Worth staying alive for. Well, I'm going to give it a go, but I have to say... Say you'll probably you'll probably be pushing me around at that time. We'll, st- we'll still be on the podcast. <laughs> what we can't take away from Prince Philip is he, he fought in the Second World War. So that and that and we did hear a little bit about his, mm-hmm. his service during World War Two. So no, absolutely worth more than worth mentioning. But I think he probably did cause offence. Uh, Princess Anne said that yes, he he you know he he was a bit sharp. But she didn't think it went any further than that. He said that. he wasn't cruel. Wasn't cruel. I, I think that depends on your interpretation of, uh, and indeed who he was speaking to. I agree. Uh, you know, I think some people might get out some little tidbits like he loves the hairy bikers, for example, and people might really enjoy hearing that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but of course, the, the kind of regal elephant in the room was Prince Andrew who yes. and who did make an appearance. I think just a couple of, I have to say, rather brief appearances. More than I was expecting, I'll be honest. Or some people were not expecting to see him at yeah. all. And of course, we should say he denies all the, the allegations against him. Um, but I too was a little surprised that 
they decided to include him in it's this? In the, you know, I think it's, we're in the middle of a legal dispute right now, so it is quite mm. surprising and perhaps quite shocking for some people. Yeah. Um, the Queen didn't really make an appearance, certainly not uh, making any kind of statement to Only camera. Only an archive, right? Yeah, just a bit of archive footage. I, if you are a royal fan, then I think you'll enjoy this very respectful programme about a man who is no longer with us. And um, I have to say as well, some of the younger royals, they, they speak very well. Mm-hmm. Zara and Peter Phillips came across as siblings who were rather fond of each other. Which was lovely to yeah, see. Yeah, and actually rather seemingly um, pleasant people. So, yes. um, and Harry is in this. And Harry is in this We too. should say, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and actually really on quite good form, very chipper, as was, as was William. So this is... As we said, a very kind of trying to be celebratory look back at his life. Yes, I think if you do get to 99, it's, <laughs> it's, really, it's a bit churlish to complain that <laughs> you didn't get enough. I think you got a fine, yeah. a fine old innings. So that is Prince Philip Remembered. Uh, you'll find that on the BBC iPlayer. Now let's look ahead to something that starts on BBC One at nine o'clock on Sunday night. I guess, is this the prime drama slot of the week, nine o'clock on a Sunday? I feel like it is. Wasn't the bodyguard on at this time? Line of duty. Yeah, and vigil. vigil. Just finished. (laughs) Um, No spoilers. Um, I did think that started promisingly and then my attention drifted, I've got to be honest. But um, this is Ridley Road and it's an adaptation by Sarah Soleimani, uh, who is a a phenomenon really, isn't she? Tell us about her. I love her and I think my favourite, so I first came to her as a, she's an actress as well and she was in a brilliant BBC sitcom called Him and Her, which is still on the iPlayer, so 25 episodes I think, all only like, you know I think half an hour max, alongside Russell Tovey and oh, it's just yeah. it's so good, we've talked about him on the podcast before because he's excellent and just the two of them in this tiny little bed sit uh, with their family coming and going, I don't think the, the camera ever leaves the flat and it's just a perfectly made and it's still on the iPlayer it's still on the iPlayer okay and so they're a couple she's a couple with Russell Tovey you'll also know Sarah from the best best friend role in Bridget Jones's Baby Baby. yeah Yeah. she's she's excellent she's got any number of talents she has adapted a novel by a woman called Jo Bloom called Ridley Road and it's set in Britain in the 1960s now I confess I knew nothing about British fascism in the 60s. It's not a pretty picture, this. And Sarah began by talking to me about just some of the uncomfortable truths covered by Ridley Road. I think we like to tell ourselves, as you say, that, you know, Nazis and Nazism died with Hitler in the bunker. And we have this, as you say, clear narrative. Um, But there were... um, demonstrations with swastikas in Trafalgar Square and in Jewish and minority areas like Ridley Road and organised Nazi groups through the 60s could get a permit and protest and make speeches and it was perfectly legal. And the demonstrators that congregated around them to protest, Jewish groups, black groups, anti-fascist groups who were united in the cause were arrested Um, So our understanding of fascism um, is is kind of skewed with our own own history, Mm. history of our country. And and people forget that actually it wasn't clear cut that he was this monster. Hitler was this monster. At the time, uh, he was he was this impressive. I mean, sexy. You know, he was a sex symbol for women in this country, they looked up to this man who had taken Germany out of the ashes of war and was giving dignity to Europe. 
And that attitude carried on much later than we thought. And um, it, 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 it's, you know, we think of the 60s as being this, this free, multicolored, technicolored dream place. But that was much later in the decade, in 68. And in 62, they were still calling it the Jewish war, a war that we shouldn't have got involved with. Uh, so I really did uncover a lot of, um, yeah, painful secrets mm. about our histories. It, it does start in a very chilling and compelling way with a, with a rather sweet scene initially of, of, of a mother and a small boy playing in a rather lovely aristocratic-looking bedroom. And then a man comes in and he's a bit formal and a bit stiff. And then they all do a Nazi salute, at which point I felt... Really, and it's it, you know it's in England, and I I was really quite nauseous. I, I mean, that, it's a it's a heck of a way to start, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it was it's interesting that you've even picked up on that because obviously I've been so in it, and um, you you sometimes lose sight of the power of 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 the first moment, and that first moment was written about eight years ago because right. that's when I started this project and it's taken this long to get it to the screen. And the interesting thing is because we because our sensibility in Britain is really is actually we because it is so painful, we make fun of it. So we dress up, we you know, we make jokes, especially coming from comedy. So often I was writing these these salutes and these Heil Hitlers and and I'm so used to this in the comedy space. So to actually take it seriously in drama, because people did do it, you know, there, there was that footage of the Queen doing it as a child. Yeah. It was a thing that people did. And it wasn't loaded with the same amount that it is now with the benefit of hindsight. How much of Ridley Road, which is adapted, we should say, from a novel, um, isn't it? Um, how much of it is fiction? How much is 100% true? Um, the... The world is the. I would say the world of it is true. There were Nazis in 1962. They were led by Colin Jordan, who went to Cambridge University and was a secondary school teacher in Coventry, and he was married to Francois Dior, who was Christian Dior's niece. And he had a movement called the National Socialist Movement, which is sort of a precursor to the BNP or the National Front. But there's lots of factions, and he had headquarters in Notting Hill. And it's true that there was a group of Jewish men and women, working men and women, who in 1962 formed a group called the 62 Group. And they organised to protest uh, and to disrupt these neo-Nazis. Um, and they were arrested and they had no support from the Jewish community because the Jewish community couldn't believe that they were being violent. It was. It's the same... Um, it's the same argument with, you know, they go low, we go high. It's like, no, no, this is, you've got to meet muscle with muscle. You have to fight these people. There's a violence there. Um, so that's all true. And then from the book, took the central character Vivian and then I, I made her do all the interesting stuff. And I invented uh, an infiltrator who came in the shape of a young Jewish girl from Manchester. We do know that there were female infiltrators from the 62. There's very little about them. We know that there was one woman who disappeared to India, but she had a, you know, an, an alias, a, a false identity the whole time. So Vivian's journey is, um, is fictionalised, but the world and the themes and the conflict and the pain, that's that's from my research. And it, it is, um, it's interesting to me because I, I love it when female characters are, are forefront, but 
it very much the action is driven by Vivian, isn't it? I, I must admit, I've only seen two episodes of Ridley Road so far. Really enjoyed it, but Vivian is at the heart of it all. Yes, and what I loved about Joe Bloom's novel was the femininity in it. And if you put a young girl at the centre, suddenly she's doing high kicks, and she's you know she's she's got all the espionage skills, which my character doesn't have. She has to develop them. So her feminine skills of hairdressing and disguise, she you know she dyes her hair, and also being a young naive girl, so people don't really take her seriously, especially in 1962. Those were her weapons. But also they were, there was a naivety and an innocence. So she waded, she wades into this space, which is far too dangerous for her. But she also has this deep bravery. And that's, that was the casting of Agnes O'Casey, who, who's this incredible actress who bought this, 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 this vulnerability felt so terrified for her. I wonder, I mean, I hope it, it does result in a, in a conversation in Britain, perhaps a, an uncomfortable one, about our past and about how little most of us choose to know about fascism and how it could, let's, let's face it, if the Germans had invaded, we all know plenty of people who probably would have signed up the next day without much of a, they wouldn't, without a buy you leave, they'd have probably joined up, wouldn't they? It's, it's not as explicit as you think. You know, people were like, oh, that, that, they knew they were disappearing. But then when you looked, spoke to local villagers, they'd say, who were like by Belson, you know, they're like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that was happening. So we, we allow ourselves to ignore things mm. and we allow ourselves to be taken with a, with a wave of the tide. So, so independent thought, wherever you are in the culture, is absolutely essential. And I was hearing Sam Harris, this philosopher who and he, he does guided meditation, say, you know, the greatest relationship we will ever have is with our thought. And that is what I think I, 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 I would like Ridley Road to take us is, you know, what's your relationship to your thought and, and how does that manifest in yourself, in your pain? And how does that make you view your neighbour or someone from a different country? And those are the things that we're really wrestling with in, our, in, in the United Kingdom now. But I suppose up to, I mean, what I'm concerned about is um, the people you need to reach they're not going to watch Ridley Road, are they? I mean, I wish they'd watch it, but I don't think they will. So nine o'clock BBC One. They turn on the TV and there it is. They can watch it. Oh, they can. I just think the people who need to understand that so-called strong men offering simple solutions to a complex world are never to be trusted. Um, well, I disagree. I disagree. I think thought is much more flexible than you think. Okay. Someone who voted for Obama could equally vote for Trump. We are fluid. And thought at the end of, you know, in episode four, uh, Rory Kinnear, he does an astonishing performance. He is so good. Yeah, he is so good. Vivian in his arms and he says, all of this is for my son to give him a better world. And when you tap into that human instinct, it's not them over there who are, you know, who are susceptible to the strong man. It's, it's just someone's understanding of their own humanness and their own vulnerability. And, and I think people will, of all um, stripes, relate to this show uh, because it's not preaching. It, it's not telling you what to think. It's showing you how complex life is mm. and how reductive ideology is attractive. And one woman, the, the, uh, Nettie, Rita Tashingham's character, yeah. she could go either way. Because we all could go either way at all times. Um, I think you have said before that you think the American T 
TV entertainment industry generally is is a bit more interested, a bit more committed to putting female characters front and centre. Do you do you still believe that? What's interesting about the Hollywood system is that the economic argument for making shows for women persuades people to make shows for women. And in the UK, we have economic evidence that female-led shows work, sell, that women are in control of the remote. Yeah. It's still 70% men being commissioned. You know, female, even female commissioners are admitting that they have gender bias towards men. But um, I'm just trying to think, there's Call the Midwife, um, there's people like Sarah Lancashire who do loads of stuff, uh, Nicola Walker. Are you, re- are you really saying that, or is it the female writers don't get commissioned? Yes, I'm talking about writers, yeah, I'm talking about, yeah. which is why when a Michaela Cole or a Phoebe Waller-Bridge or an mm. Emerald Fennel, when they come along, the culture goes berserk because we're so starved of that kind of voice. You know, the, the institutions that have been built around you know, men at typewriters who type and send off and then it's made on a film set. That's sort of being blown up because these women, I mean, I I just did the show uh, Chivalry with Steve Coogan about Me Too and I was in it and I was writing it and it's like, it's kind of quite overwhelming bringing your pain into the TV space because we need these stories that are doing all these things. Sarah Soleimani, uh, sounding in that interview, apparently not how she sounds in him and her. Very different. She can do anything. It's like she can act <laughs> and write. So Ridley Road, I I enjoyed it. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, Agnes O'Casey, who's very new to our screens, she has a kind of similar acting style to Imogen Poots, I think. This kind of wide-eyed innocence yeah. but with, you know, quite a lot going on under the surface. I love seeing Soho in the 60s as well. I really enjoyed the Beehives, yeah. Tamsin Althway and Tracy Ann Oberman, EastEnders alumni. Obviously the villain of the piece is Rory Kinnear, who is playing Colin Jordan, real life, real life Nazi. Mm. And Rory Kinnear is brilliant. He's so insidious and creeping in this and really quite believable because he has to be charismatic to some extent as a as an orator. But also you have to absolutely despise him and he does a great, great job of that. He is exceptionally menacing, actually, yeah. in a in an understated sort of way. He's a, mm. he's a cracking actor, actually. He really is. And also lovely to see Rita Tushingham. Well, Rita Tushingham is... Well, she's isn't she the first person to speak in Dr. Zhivago, or perhaps the second person, or we see her very early on in Dr. Zhivago, right. uh, and she's in this boiler suit working at a dam. It's been a year since I've didn't seen Dr. Really? Zhivago, okay. but it it's is just a beautiful film. It but... is the film I've seen more than any other, so <laughs> I, I think she, and she's a brilliant actress too. I really like that it's not MI5 or another government organisation. It's like a grassroots anti-fascist Jewish movement who are doing all the heavy lifting. Um, And I think that's really important. And I mean, I know they're trying to sex it up because it's a BBC drama, but there are moments when they're hiding microphones or they're, you know, they're trying to be proper spies and they get distracted by snogging each other when they're supposed to be covert, which I thought was a little bit... Do you think that's just... Unrealistic. Do you think we are still... (laughs) We're sort of infantilized and producers of shows think there has to there has to be a romantic element. 
I didn't I didn't even mind the fact that there was a romantic element, but I was a bit disappointed that that was the catalyst for her doing all of this in the first place. It was love. Yes. That it was love. Well, she's in love with us, effectively a double agent, yes. isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, the, the cast is excellent. I think it looks fantastic. And if you're a fan of these kind of period spy shows, have a look at Summer of Rockets, which is available on Netflix, um, which is a Stephen Polyakov drama. Or The Hour, which I've got to say is still one of my favourite shows know, of all time. I'm glad you mentioned The Hour. I always thought that was slightly underrated when it first it went really out. It really was. And it's, it came out... 10 years ago really, and I've it? never forgotten it because it stars our mate Dominic West uh, also Ben Wishaw and Romola Garai who and they're all excellent actors and, and it's, it's about and so it's about it's, it's literally about the BBC it's about the news and um, how spies have sort of infiltrated the BBC and that's on Amazon Prime so there are lots of these period spy dramas that you can go back and revel in and if you want to know more about Ridley Road, um, you can read more about it and also more from Sarah Soleimani in the Radio Times magazine. Also in this week's Radio Times magazine, there are interviews with Strictly stars Melvin O'Doom and Jackie Smith. Now, they talk about what it's like to leave, to be the first to be eliminated. Uh, first of all, here's Melvin. You know what? I would say smile because you did it, man. Like, a lot of people forget Mm. how amazing an opportunity is to do Strictly. And there is still a massive run-up to it. Like, a lot of the fun stuff, the like, the press run is amazing. Getting your costume fittings is sick. Mm. Meeting everyone is... Just, it's, there's so much that happens before you even do the show. Mm. And the fact that you even got picked to do it. Do you know how many people come up to me and go, I wish I was a celebrity so I could do Strictly? So many people could say, that's like the number one thing that a Strictly fan says to me. And they could be like brain surgeons. They could be like nurses. They could be teachers. Like it, they could have really good jobs. But the number one thing that a Strictly fan says to me is, I wish I was a celeb so I could do it. If you come out the first week, be happy that you even had a first week because there's so many people out there. There's so many celebs out there that would want to do the show and they don't get the opportunity. And also try your best to connect with people because there's so many beautiful people that I've met from that show like who still have so much time for me the amount of times i've randomly messaged i'll i'll message ed balls and be like ed can you do this for me one of my mates is a fan and he'll just be like cool we, we still got a, a whatsapp group i tell you what there's quite a they stick together the strictly folk don't they are they really it must be such a bonding experience and i know people i mean i've got to agree i'm not a brain surgeon or anything but i would also love to be on <laughs> strictly there's still time. There's still time. Also, Jackie Smith, um, who uh, was the first out last year having danced with uh, Anton Dubeck, who now, of course, is a judge. Here she is on the level of nerves she experienced. When I became Home Secretary, the day after we faced a terror attack and I had to go out the front of Downing Street and make a statement in front of sort of mass ranks of... Uh, TV cameras and, you know, press photographers less than 24 hours into the job. That's the only thing, other thing, that ranks in terrifyingness alongside that moment on a Saturday night when you're standing ready to start the dance and you hear Alan Dedicote saying your name, dancing the foxtrot 
honestly, I your heart just, you know, your heart just absolutely seizes up. Thank goodness my legs didn't seize up. That's all I can say, because I think for other people that has sometimes happened. Um, it's sort of terrifying and unbelievable. And I think if you thought, if you stood there and thought too much about the fact that it's live TV, you probably just wouldn't be able to function. So by that point, Anton had properly drilled into me what we were going to do, and I was just thinking about the steps and that cane that I had to wave around, that top hat, and, you know, what I had to do when and how I had to try and make the most of it. Uh, and if I hadn't been focused on those things, I think I would have just collapsed in a, in a heap on the stage. It really must be. Well, it's just abject terror, isn't it? Waiting to hear your name mm-hmm. on Strictly. That was Jackie Smith and Melvin O'Doom. And there's more from both of them in the Radio Times magazine this week. And now it's time for my favourite bit of the podcast. It's the quiz of the week. It is. It's taking you down memory lane. It is what we watched. So I've got some clips from a couple of iconic TV shows. First, I'm going to give you some clues on what year we're looking at. So all of these took place in October of this particular year. Right. Do you remember, call on me, call on me? That's, oh God, I can't. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Eric Pritz. Right. Your version of it is fabulous. (laughs) Thanks very much. Topping the charts in this, in October of this year. And he, (laughs) it was quite a controversial video. There were lots of semi-naked women in sweat. I think what are they called sweatbands and leg warmers and leotards. That I don't remember, and, but I do uh, remember the song. Um, Ant and Deck are also two years into their Saturday Night Takeaway variety show, which I think celebrated its 100th show in 2018 in March and is going to return next year in 2022. That actually, if I had to pick my favourite Ant and Deck thing, it probably would be Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Takeaway. I, I think probably, I mean, that was something that we genuinely sat down to watch. All of you, oh, really? Yeah, I mean, it, it was proper. It's so skillfully done mm-hmm. and so slick uh, and absolutely perfect for family viewing, genuinely. And something that's maybe slightly more cerebral yes. is um, Michael Palin's Himalaya series. And that was voted one of the top TV moments of this particular year, um, released on the BBC. That's not really helping me, but carry on. And very fittingly, to tie in with the podcast, it featured on the front cover of the Radio Times magazine, oh, which I'm sure, all, you know, just go back and flick through your back catalogue. Yeah, of your... You, but we should just say, if, of course, if you enjoy this podcast, you may very well enjoy the Radio Times magazine as well. Right. <laughs> uh, it was the UK television debut of the American version of The Apprentice with Donald Trump on BBC Two. If we have to, let's hear some of that. New York City, it's the benchmark for success. Believe me, I know. My name is Donald Trump, and I'm the largest developer in New York. I even have a television show. I thrive on energy. This isn't a game. I'm not playing games. Who will succeed? Who will fail? And who will be the apprentice? Whatever happened to him? (laughs) Such an obvious line, isn't it? Anyway, um, and uh, you've got something else for me. Well, from one... Characterful is a nice way of putting it. Politician to another... Here's Boris Johnson speaking to Paul Merton on why eggs should be banished to Room 101. And I, in fact, I will go so far to say I won't even eat those parts of the chicken which generate the egg. <laughs> well, not many people do eat arse of chicken, to be honest. <laughs> not even in Kentucky Fried Chicken, not even to get the bargain bucket. Think, think, <laughs> not much of a bargain, it's something to dip your fingers, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as if you don't. 
So glossing over that for a second, what would you <laughs> put in room 101? Not far away from what they were just talking about, gristle. Oh, gristle. Yeah, I really don't like gristle. And um, I have to say, gristle was more of a feature of my life back in the 70s. School dinners oh, at that point, mm-hmm. I have to break it to you, Rihanna, gristle, gristle was quite a prominent part. <laughs> and in the puddings as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you used to have a thick layer of gristle over your uh, chocolate. But there were some good sides. You know, the chocolate sponge pudding with the raspberry custard was or pink custard. Was oh, I loved nice. that. Yeah, it was still going when your day oh, was. It definitely it? Oh, yeah. was. Yeah, it I hope be, it's still going now. There must be somewhere in Britain, just a huge warehouse where they make that. Did, didn't the Teletubbies used to have pink custard in it? I think. It doesn't really help us with what year. No, sorry. This what was. do you think this year is then? Where were you when you were listening to Eric Prids's Call on Me? If I if I've got the year right, I was probably at a soft play center. Um and probably wasn't having a great time. I'm thinking this is early 21st century, so 2004. You are absolutely correct. It is oh. 2004, the first one that you've got right. Yeah, and it did. Um, I had to think about it. Well, I have to say, Matt agrees with you. He says, Anton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway deserves to be applauded. We as a family watched it from the beginning and it really brought us together. It's a tribute to good, old-fashioned, destination TV. Oh, well, there we are. It's good to have someone who thinks the same as me. <laughs> very, obviously a very clever bloke. <laughs> if this has evoked memories of your own, the things that you were watching, what you were doing at that time, or any funny stories, then please email the show. It's podcast at radiotimes.com or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Radio Times. If you'd like a breakdown of the listings of the programmes we've talked about, then make sure you have a look at the episode notes wherever you get your podcast. Well, that's it. I've enjoyed it. Um, thank you very much, Rihanna. Thanks, Jane. Have you got any cultural highlights this week, something to look forward to? I'm going to see The Power of the Dog, Jane Campion's new film, after this. The Power of the Dog. I don't know anything about that. Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse wow. Plemons. It's going to be on Netflix, um, so we can talk about it on a future episode, which oh, will be lovely. Any idea what that's about? Nope, no idea. But Jane Campion is the lady who... Did the, the piano. piano yes. yes. So Which this is, is very exciting. OK, that was a very evocative film. It wasn't was. Okay. Oh, well, that's, you've certainly got something to look forward to. And anything else? The Harder They Fall is also going to be at the London Film Festival, which I'm really excited about. It's a Western and it stars Lakeith Stanfield, Regina King, Zazie Beetz. It's produced by Jay-Z. This is a huge deal. So that's going to be, yeah, another Netflix show. Okay, um, so getting a lot of plugs in for Netflix. Oh, there. yeah, yeah, fair enough. But there are of they're course. dominating at the moment. Well, they are dominating absolutely everything. I was the war, say. they did hugely well at the Emmys. Yes, yeah. There's no, you, you can't. I mean, this was the year that the Crown won everything. Was that deserved, by the way? Absolutely not. I really don't think it was. And this was the year of you know all white performer winners. Yeah, which I don't think got quite the attention that it should have got. I I, I went on the news and talked about it a little very I must briefly. Have been, I must have been out. <laughs> I missed you on the news. Um, uh, Right, thank you very much. Um, Have a good week and we'll be back next Wednesday. Uh, Follow us and join us each week on the brand new Radio Times podcast. It is produced by Something Else for Immediate Media.